I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the New Testament book of Second Peter. As we are working our way toward the end of the book, we'll conclude our study next Sunday. This morning we are just looking at three verses, Second Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. I'm going to read those verses out loud and you can follow along in your uh, copy of the Bible. So Second Corinthians chapter 3, starting to read in verse 11. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We've seen in our study up to this point that in chapter 1, the Apostle Peter encourages his readers to press on to maturity, to grow in their relationships with Jesus Christ, to grow more like Jesus. But as we came to chapter 2, we saw there's a major hindrance to that potential growth that threatened the original readers of this letter and quite frankly threatened today, and that is the, the potential of false teachers. Those who may want to look as if they are a Christian, may want to talk as if they are Christians, but in reality are trying to pull people away from the person of Jesus Christ. Well, as Peter dealt with what these false teachers have been saying, namely that, well, Jesus, if he was coming back, he would have come back already. He isn't coming back, therefore we can live our lives however we want to live. And Peter has combated that teaching. He has said, no, Jesus is coming back. And he is not only coming back as Savior, but he is coming back as judge. And the earth will be judged. And Peter warns of an upcoming day of the Lord where Jesus Christ will come back. And the culmination of that time will be a destruction, a recreation of the heavens and the earth as we know it today. Now, for Peter, there is more at stake here than just combating what these false teachers have been saying. There is a message here for Christians. There is an application here for the original readers of this letter. There's an application here for you and for me. There is a message that Peter wants us to grab onto. And that is a message that this truth of last things, these truths about the fact that Jesus could come back any time and that the earth as we know it will be destroyed with intense heat, these truths about last days are not just a matter of theological import. They are not just something to argue about. They should be having an effect on the Christian's everyday life. The fact that Jesus is coming back, 
the fact that this earth that we so desire to hang on to, these things around us, this stuff that we tend to value so much, Peter says it's all going to be ash. And because it's all going to be ash, and because Jesus is going to come without warning, those truths should be having an effect on how we live our everyday lives now. This past week, I was in a prayer session with just a handful of pastors in the local area. And one of the guys who came to this prayer session had just come from a previous meeting bringing a box of Dunkin' Donuts. Now, those of us who are Cedar Rapidians know that the only place to get donuts is Donut Land. But he brought a substitute. He brought Dunkin' Donuts. And he offered them around the room and no one took a donut. In fact, one of the guys said, no, I I don't eat donuts. Well, that really caught this other pastor's attention. He said, what? What do you mean you don't eat donuts? And then the guy said, well, I actually don't eat any kind of of sugar. I, I haven't for 12 years. Well, that really got this other pastor's attention. His jaw dropped open a little bit. He said, what are you, you can't, you're telling me that not once in 12 years, you've maybe just like snuck a bite of a donut or had a cookie or just, you know, had a, a piece of chocolate bite. Nothing? And the guy says, no, I haven't for 12 years. 12 years ago, I came to the realization that sugar was just not it didn't do good in my body. I, I just had a, it was, I was not doing well. And I found when I stopped taking in extra sugars, I, I just did a ton better. So I just stopped and I haven't had any for 12 years. And we believed him. You see, he came to the knowledge of a truth that for him and the way his body was wired, added sugars didn't do well. So he knew that. But what's remarkable is not that he knew that, but his knowledge changed how he lived. His knowledge changed how he acted. What he knew affected what he did. And that's exactly what Peter's message is today in 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 11 through 13. What we know about Jesus' return should be affecting what we do. Not just what we do in a few years, what we do now, today, every day. That's Peter's message. He begins in verse 10, excuse me, in verse 11, with the same theme that he ended with last week as we read verse 10. Last week in verse 10, Peter said that the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements, those basic building blocks of the earth, will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up or laid bare. 
Now what Peter does in verse 11 is he repeats the same main word from verse 10. In verse 10, he said that the heavens and the elements will be destroyed. Now as you come to verse 11 and look at verse 11, you see that same word destroyed again. Peter is linking verses 11 through 13 with what he just said in verse 10. Since the heavens and the earth, these basic building blocks of the what makes up the earth, will be destroyed with intense heat. Since all these things are to be destroyed in verse 11 in this way, and notice down in verse 12 he repeats it again, that because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. Since all of this that we know is going to become ash, Peter asks a question. Verse 11, what sort of people ought you to be? What sort of people ought you to be? You see here in verses 11 and 12, we're going to see that knowing the stuff we value value on earth will end up as ash calls for action on our part. It calls for a response. And Peter's going to say it should call us to holiness. It should call us to setting ourselves apart from the things of this world and dedicating ourselves to God. So Peter in verse 11, keen off of verse 10, tying into verse 10, says this, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be? And then he immediately answers the question. Here's how you ought to be. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Peter wants to take this truth that Jesus can come back at any time. This truth that Jesus' return will come unexpectedly. And with it, as the day of the Lord unfolds, it will culminate in this earth, in this heavens that we so want to hang on to. It's just going to be ash. Peter says that that truth should have a difference in how or what sort of people we ought to be. How are we to be? Peter says it here. We are to be people in holy conduct and godliness. Godliness simply means that we should be reflecting God. When people see you, they should see Christ in you. Holy conduct... That word holy is part of a a bunch of words all off the same kind of basic root word. The word sanctify, the word holy, the word consecrate. They all carry the idea of being set apart. Here in this context, to be holy in our conduct means that we're set apart from the things of this world. It doesn't mean that stuff is bad. It's talking about being set apart from the sin that so easily grips this world. 
sinful thoughts, sinful attitudes, sinful actions. We're set apart from the sin that so easily dominates this world, and we are set apart to God. We belong to Him. And we are very cognizant of that. That because all that this world has to offer is going to be burned up, it's going to be ash, Peter says the knowledge of that should affect how we live. How should we then live? In holy conduct and godliness. People should be able to look at my life and your life and see Christ lived out. Holy conduct and godliness. See, the problem is, is that we tend to hang on to stuff, to love stuff more than Jesus Christ. Many years ago, in my first pastorate, we had a rancher from Montana come to the church where I pastored up in rural North Dakota and do a gospel concert on a Sunday evening. His name was Corky Harkins. Love the guy. He's from Ekalaka, Montana. And Corky talked about how at one time he had a huge Montana ranch. But in the 80s, Farm economy went bad, and he lost the vast majority of his holdings. Well, when he talked about how he worshipped his ranch more than Jesus, you could hear a pin drop in that room because I, at that time, was with a a very high percentage of the people in our church were very large farmers with vast holdings. And Corky was talking about how God took that all away. And changed how he thought about stuff. Well, Corky and his wife spent the night with us. And the next morning, we were having breakfast. And my wife, Barbara, was taking care of some children in the area just to bring in a little bit of egg money, a little fun money for her. And um, this little boy, Eric, showed up at the door, came in and went right up to Corky and started talking to Corky about television. Talking is, you just talk, 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 talk about all of his favorite television characters. Well, Corky had no idea what this kid was talking about. The kid didn't care. He just kept talking and talking and talking. And finally, he blurted out to Corky, I love television. Well, this rancher with his boots, I mean, he is a true Montana rancher with his boots, big, huge guy, deep voice. Looked down at this little kid and said, young man, I'm entirely convinced that boys watch too much television. That's all he said. The kid just sat there like, where did this guy come from? You know, that kid said, I love television. And television may not be what you often put into that blank But way too often in all of our lives, we put something else in that blank other than the person of Jesus Christ. And Peter here is calling us 
to a knowledge that changes our actions. To an understanding that actually shapes and molds and directs how we live our everyday life. And Peter is telling us through the written word here and under the inspiration of the Spirit of God that all of the things that we sometimes put into that blank, I love this, it's all going to be ash. It's all going to be ash. So Peter says, since that's the case, all of this stuff is going to be burned up. What sort of people ought you to be? I want to draw, I just want to draw our attention to a little truth here in verse 11. Notice in verse 11, all of our English translations use a future tense. It says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way. In reality, the the Greek word underneath that English sentence is a present tense. This verse could be translated, since all these things are being destroyed in this way. And there's some Bible teachers who believe that what Peter is saying here is that just like our human bodies from the day that we're born are on a pathway to slowly not being, so also the earth is already on this path of destruction. As a Christian, we should not be surprised that a scientist says, There's global warming taking place. It should not catch us off guard that the ozone layer is getting thinner. Why? Because God did not create these heavens and earth to be eternal. He did not create this place to last forever. I don't disagree. It probably does show global warming. There probably is a reduction in the ozone layer. God didn't create... Heaven and earth as it stands now to be here forever. Those scientists most likely are actually picking up on the truth of God as they say things are deteriorating. The difference is we don't run from that in fear. Because as a Christian we know that nothing's going to happen to this earth apart from God's timing. But right here it tells us the entire Earth as we know it is going to be destroyed with intense heat. Yes, I agree. It's going to happen and most likely there's already, already the effects of this deterioration taking place. It points to an all-powerful, sovereign creator God who's not only the creator of the universe but the sustainer of the universe. Peter says... All this stuff that we so readily strive to hang on to and too often put in the place that only Jesus should have, it's all going to be ash. Here's the trick. It's okay for us as a Christian to have stuff. The danger comes when our stuff has us. That's the issue. 
It's okay for you. It's okay for me as a Christian to have stuff. The issue comes when our stuff has us. I want us to read just three verses out of 1 John chapter 3. Because the Apostle John is talking about these same end days. And he too is saying that our knowledge of the end should have an effect on our daily life today. And in 1 John chapter 3, starting the reading in verse 1, it says, See how to great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it's not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself, just as He is pure. It's true. Philippians 1, six tells us that maturity in Christ... Us becoming more like Jesus is a work that God does in us. Starting at the moment we place our trust in Jesus. He is the one who does life change in your life and my life. But it's also true that there are decisions that you and I are called to make. We are not totally passive in spiritual maturity. Even John here, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, says that we are to purify ourselves. We There's choices that we make. And here, Peter is saying there's choices that you and I should be making in our everyday lives because of the fact that Jesus is coming back without warning, because of the fact that His coming is going to inaugurate the the day of the Lord. And part of the day of the Lord is the fact that this place that we so easily grab onto, this, this world in which we live where we so often fill in the blank, I love this or that, instead of Jesus, it's all going to be ash. Now, Peter not only wants to motivate us by talking about this destruction that's going to come, he almost he also wants to point us to some good news. And the good news comes in verse 13. You see, it's true that this world in which we live, this physical, material earth, that God created as good, but as sin entered, it put this earth underneath that the effects of sin. It's true that there is going to be a destruction by fire. That this earth as we know it will be ash. But it's also true that God is going to do a work of recreation. That there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and we will live there. Verse 3 says, but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We look forward to a recreated earth where wrong does not prevail and that which is right rules. Now Peter's not the only one that talks about this new heavens and new earth. 
When we studied the book of Revelation, we saw it in Revelation chapter 21 and following. In fact, Revelation chapter 21 verse 1 says this. The Apostle John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. There's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. A new heavens and a new earth. This physical earth where we live, God created it to be good, as good. Sin entered. The curse for sin came upon the earth. And ever since sin entered the picture, all of creation, including humanity, cries out for restoration, cries out for redemption. And here Peter and John say it's coming, that there will be a new earth and a new heaven. In fact, we will spend eternity on this recreated new earth. The heavenly city, we read about it in the Gospel of John, this mansion where Jesus is preparing for us. It's going to come out of the heavens. It's going to come down and rest on this new recreated earth. And we will live here on a new earth, not tainted by sin, not no longer subject to the effects of wearing out or down. Rather, a new heaven and a new earth forever and ever. And that's not even the best part. Look at the end of verse 13. The best part is still there. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Why will righteousness dwell there? Because Jesus is there. Why will righteousness dwell in the kingdom? Because Jesus will be on the throne in the kingdom. Why will righteousness be the norm? Because Jesus will be reigning on David's throne forever and ever on the new heaven, in the new heavens and earth from the new Jerusalem. John alludes to it in in Revelation chapter 22, verses 3 and 4. He's describing the new Jerusalem in chapter 22, 22, then he showed me a river of the water of life, Revelation 22, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. You see the images from Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Of God's good creation. We see those same images in the end of our Bible. That God is going to recreate his good creation. And here in verse 3, Peter says, what, ought, what kind of people ought we to be? In the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. That this earth that we so want to hang on to is going to, going to be ash. 
and the fact that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and it's going to be righteous. There'll be righteousness there. Why? Because Jesus will be there. Throughout church history, even throughout current history, those who sought the kingdom the most have been those who have suffered. One of the hardest places to be a Christian is in the place of prosperity. How many days do we go through really not yearning for Jesus' return because things are pretty good? Why would I want Jesus to come back? My life's really good right now. And it's only when we allow the scripture to change our hearts and our minds and really help us see that this isn't it. That righteousness is not dwelling here. That we start to yearn for what the Bible points us to as where we belong. You see, we are in an awkward place. We are kingdom people living in the midst of a sinful culture, awaiting our future home, the kingdom of God where righteousness will dwell. And Christians often tend to go in a pendulum swing to an extreme position of one of two positions, both of which are not right. Some Christians believe that because of the fact that we are kingdom people, that we need to be creating the kingdom here now by our own efforts, apart from Jesus being on an earthly throne. And other Christians believe that since we live in a sinful culture, what we should be doing now is just completely withdrawing from our culture. Two extremes. Some wanting to just not even be part of this earth. And some believing that we can actually create the kingdom of God now. And one of the issues that we face is to actually recognize that this isn't it. There's something much better waiting for us. That we are to be yearning for His kingdom where righteousness will dwell. I had a frustrating phone call this week. I switched telephones. First time in five and a half years. You know, I I really wanted to not switch out my cell phone until next fall. That was my goal. Just like my goal every year is not to turn our furnace on until November 1st. And I never make it. It, When it gets about 60 degrees, my wife starts saying, you know, maybe some heat wouldn't be bad. So, you know, we can always have it. We can always have a goal. And so my goal was to get to next fall with my cell phone, but... It became apparent I'm not going to make it. So I switched phones. I walked into the Verizon store, and the guy looked at my phone and says, you're actually still using that? I says, yeah. He says, it still works? I says, yeah. He says, I can't believe you can even get anything done. I'm surprised it even runs anymore. So, well, it it is seen some age. It's five and a half years old. 
So I switched phones. And uh, things didn't go smooth. One of my issues is that I still have a child, uh, one of our adult children on our plan, who used way too much data, and I was trying to see what was going on, and it wouldn't give me access anymore. I called Verizon and said, I can't access the full details of our account. And they said, well, no, you can't because your wife is the account holder. <laughs> and I came back and I said, now listen, I, it's my wife and me. The only reason why it's under her phone number is she gets a discount because she works in a public school. But uh, I need to be able to see our account details. Well, you can't. Only the account holder can see them. Oh, now I'm getting frustrated. So I figured out a way on my computer to get her information into the computer so I could still see our details. But oh, I was frustrated. Two weeks ago, I just needed to find out one little bit of detail about my wife's retirement fund. She knew I was going to call. Oh, sir, we can't give that information to you. That's that's not your account. I said, no, it's my wife's. Oh, we can't give that information to you. So I had to get my wife on the phone saying that it was okay for them to talk to her husband. I was so frustrated after these two phone calls. I hung up the phone on this last one. I called my wife and I said, corporate America does not believe in marriage. It's just so frustrating. It's like... Do you not believe that there's actually a husband and wife that don't mind if they know each other's information? Do you actually believe that there's a problem that my wife could access my account and I could access hers? Oh, that's, that's a terrible thing. They almost get angry at you on the, on the phone if you even think such an archaic thing. And I was frustrated. And that's just a stupid little example. But it's just an example of things aren't right yet. That, that God's design is for a husband and wife to come together and be an indissoluble unit. There's no need to have privacy statements sent to us. There's no reason not to give a husband information that they could give to the wife and vice versa. No, they're not following according to the way God set things up. You see, we're not there yet. And there's going to be a time when even all these little archaic, these or these little things that just point us to the fact that we are not yet living where righteousness dwells. That there's even a need for such a thing. That, that reminds us that there's a better place waiting for us. That there is a place waiting for us where righteousness dwells. Now I want to take a moment this morning and just talk about this pull that we feel. This, this, this frustration that we have that we live in a culture where righteousness does not dwell, and we are challenged to be looking forward to the kingdom because we are kingdom people, but we're not there yet. The pastoral staff just had 48 hours a couple of weeks ago with Joe Stoll. And this was the subject of his discussion 
I personally think Joe Stoll is probably the best preacher in America. I'm a big fan. Long-time president of Moody Bible Institute, now in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And he challenged us about the fact that we are kingdom people. And he made this statement, this statement about these two extremes, some believing we should try to create the kingdom now, and others believing that we should just totally withdraw from culture. This was such a profound statement, I wrote it down, and this is what he said. We are not here to do cultural warfare, but to show the world a better way. We are not here to do cultural warfare, but to show the world a better way. Now Jesus himself told us that we are to be yearning for the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 6, in that that guide for prayer that Jesus left us with, one of the things, the components of prayer in Matthew 6.10 is your kingdom come. Jesus said, pray for it. The Apostle Paul tells us that we are kingdom people. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, the Apostle Paul wrote this, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We're kingdom people. We just aren't in the kingdom yet. Stoll says, we are not here to do cultural warfare, but to show the world a better way. Very reminiscent of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And Stoll made a commitment that every day he is trying to do an act of good works for someone whose path he crosses during the day. Every day. And then whenever he has the opportunity to talk about the hope within him that he has in Jesus. Now Peter here says, all this stuff that we hang on to so tight, it's all going to be ash. But we have something better waiting for us. The kingdom. It's going to be a recreated heaven and earth. It's, we're going to see again God's good creation just like he created the earth in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And righteousness will dwell there. What sort of people ought we then to be? And Peter says, set apart people. People who are not entangled in the stuff of this world. People who can have stuff, but their stuff doesn't have them. People whose lives are set apart to God. Kingdom people. People who are loving those around them, who are showing them Jesus in their everyday lives, and then sharing with them verbally 
who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And you know what Peter says can happen when we do that? Back in verse 12, he says, when we are living in holy conduct and godliness, we end up looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. How can we hasten Jesus' return? We know from 2 Peter 3, 9, it tells us Jesus hasn't come yet, back yet, because he wants more people to repent and come to faith in Jesus. How do we hasten his return? By living out the Christian life. By allowing people to see Jesus lived out through us. By sharing the good news. By being kingdom people in a lost world. By letting people see good. By yearning for his kingdom so much that it's affecting our everyday life. So that we aren't like everybody else. That that our lives are demonstrating Christ-likeness through us. So that our lives and our words are leading people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That our lives are changed by the knowledge that Jesus is coming back. And this earth that we so want to hang on to, it's going to be destroyed. But there's a new heavens and earth coming where righteousness will dwell. And as kingdom people, we reflect him as we wait. You may be here this morning. We've talked a lot about Jesus Christ and being kingdom people. And you don't know where you stand with God. If that's you today, I would encourage you not to leave here today without taking a step toward knowing how you stand with God. One of our leaders here at Faith Bible Church, one of our elders, will be back in the prayer room after the service. And we have some material back there that you can just take and and take out a Bible of your own choosing. and, And it shows you passages of the scripture that will give you confidence that you can know God. That you can be right with him. That your sin can be forgiven. That you can be God's child. That you can be a kingdom person. And I encourage you after the service to stop in there and just ask for that material. Or maybe you're here today and you're way down. You are some of those who are suffering. Who really want Jesus to come. I encourage you to spend some time in prayer this morning at the end of our service. I'm just going to ask us to stand And then I'm going to close out our service this morning in prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son through faith in Jesus. Help us this week to be cognizant of the fact that we are kingdom people. Help us this week to not put anything in that blank that ends the sentence, I love, that we'd put nothing in that blank except Jesus. Help us to reflect God this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.